Hello, just a quick bit before this week's episode to let you know that we have a Patreon you can subscribe to if you like what we're doing here and you want more of it. You probably already knew that. We don't stop going on about it. What you didn't know is that you can currently get a little free trial so you know exactly what you'd get as part of your subscription. You can head to patreon.com slash whatismusicpod or follow the link in the show notes to get your first seven days free. All you need to do is pick which tier you'd like a free trial of. The Biggest Mates tier is the one that has all the extras in it. And then for seven days, you are free to listen to any episode we've released in the last six months. You can cancel any time or just leave the subscription rolling if you like what you find. It's charged monthly. And during any month, as part of that Biggest Mates tier, you'll get ad-free episodes of this show every Monday. You'll get a brand new episode of our new Manic Street Preacher show every month. Two episodes every month of The Ultimate Playlist, our themed playlist show, where we talk about all kinds of different music, different artists, different genres, different eras, and one or two bonus episodes every month, depending on the length of the month. That's two episodes every week. There's also other tiers to trial. One that is just the Manic Show and ad-free What Is Music episodes, and another that is just ad-free What Is Music episodes. But hey, if the first seven days are free, why not try a bit of everything? Plus, all tiers include access to the exclusive subscriber-only Discord where we discuss the shows, the bands we've covered, various music topics, and loads of other stuff, including some games that the friendly community have devised themselves. So head on over to our Patreon page now to claim your free seven-day trial. Go to patreon.com slash whatismusicpod or follow the link in our show notes. See you there. My foot is currently sat in a Tupperware box full of salty water. Mm. Got to keep it fresh. You got to have fresh feet. I think he's doing his vocal warm-ups, Adam. (laughs) Okay. My foot is in a Tupperware box full of salty water. (laughs) Have you fucked it from doing another half marathon, Lucas? Yeah, my just a couple of my toes are just in a bit of bad shape, and my dad said, "Put that in some salty water. It might stop it from getting a bit infected." Nice. So, so is this this is a humble brag, right? I, I can't remember what episode we were recording, but uh, yeah. we were we were talking about what constitutes a humble brag and what doesn't. And I think my foot yeah. hurts because I completed another bloody half marathon. It's probably right yeah. up there, isn't it? No, because it's not a brag. It's only half. It's there's oh, that yeah. little qualifier in Pathetic. there. A half marathon. Everyone goes, oh. Uh, yeah. right. When when our friend of the podcast Fry finished his half, we were offering him half pints afterwards. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> you should get half a medal, really, shouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. That is really hard. Instead, instead, don't worry, instead I got two because there's a little dangly oh. bit off of it. Look at that. So instead oh, I get two medals. That's like a Pandora charm. That's nice. Yeah. 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 Beautiful. Bit of bling. Bit of bling. Anyway, hello. Welcome to What Is Music, a music podcast about music. We're a podcast that focuses on discographies in their entirety, doing deep dives on one artist at a time. You join us for season six, which is called Are We Enjoying This? A critical analysis of the history, cultural impact and music of R.E.M. We're going through their entire career, album by album, track by track, and we're asking questions like, does context matter? When you're listening to music, does knowing the history of an artist affect your appreciation of their output? And this season, we are, of course, asking... Are we enjoying this? And to be clear, we're asking, are we enjoying this in regards to the band R.E.M., not are we enjoying this in regards to this, the sixth season of our podcast, which is called Are We Enjoying This, and which you may or may not be enjoying. I'm Adam Scott Glasspool. I'm a big music nerd, and I'm a big fan of R.E.M. With me, as always, are two of my very closest friends. Uh, The first is someone who is not, is not 
not a huge music nerd, is maybe the least knowledgeable on music in general out of the three of us. And it's just learning through this podcast how to apply critical thought onto why he likes or dislikes something and whether that means it's good or not. It is, of course, Lucas Way. Oh! Okay, good. <laughs> Usually we do introductions, right? The idea of them yeah. is so, so people can get used to your voice and know who is who. Perfect. But I think that's great. That's absolutely ideal. Because that's what he's going to do for the rest of the episode. <laughs> the whole episode. <laughs> we also have someone who is between those two positions. Betwixt. Steve Murphy. Betwixt. I will. I, can you edit it for betwixt? Yeah, I could. Okay. Because yeah, you, sure. you say that a lot, Steve. Do you know what betwixt means? Same as between. And, Do you reckon? And I, I also think. like Twixes, so I want to <laughs> be reminded of a Twix. Now, I think Betwixt... Me- now, <laughs> I've typed it into the intro <laughs> yeah. that I use, and it's yeah. also correcting... It wants me to t- change it back to Between. <laughs> so <laughs> I, tell so you I, what, think, I think that is a good uh, yeah. I, I, shout. I'll tell, tell you what Betwixt means. Yeah? Yeah. It just means Between. It yeah. just means okay. Between. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Welcome back to the podcast, both of you. How... Are you? Obviously, Lucas has got a very sore foot. Steve, It's not even sore, mate. No pain. No pain. Oh, what's wrong with it then? Humble brag. It's just, it's not, I mean, I show, I can send you a pic if you like. It looks gnarly and it could do with making sure it's clean in I'm that get gnarly state. Yeah, free. I'm up for that. Yeah, right. send me a pic. I'll send, it, I'll send you, get a, live rea- yeah. get a live reaction. I'll say, oh, like, it's happening now. Reaction. No, not now. I mean, I will, I will have a quick look. I'll have a quick look. Yeah. yeah, no, no, we're not doing yeah. that. Yeah, actually, okay. Yeah, right, that'll give you a little. Yeah, that'll yeah, give you a little bit yeah, of a little something. Gonna, you can yeah, just enjoy yeah, the state of that. Oh, it's he's already had it on hand. Oh my good. god! What's wrong with it? Oh my god! Oh! oh, oh, oh. <laughs> what happened to your nail? It's like a it's, saw move. Oh, the nail came off. Black. I had to pull. I had to pull the nail what? off a few days ago. Oh, now it's gone. Oh god! That's saved to my phone now. <laughs> horrible oh yeah <laughs> on this podcast we are exploring the entire discography of rem and in the last few episodes we um we wrestled with murmur and i i think maybe it was a bit of a, a wrestle right i think we found ourselves on unsure footing a little to to a little degree would you guys agree with that assessment yep i would well, agree they, they murmured too much so it's, yeah you that couldn't really make it out and i tell you what also true on this one i reckon disagree it's clearer. It's clearer. But I yeah, mean, yeah. come on. I I've been listening to uh, this week's album alongside okay, Murmur lovely. because yeah. there was something about Murmur that I didn't. I feel like I didn't quite grasp. Um, mm. I think I think I've unfairly been putting REM alongside other bands that we've covered, and when like it wasn't doing something so maybe immediate or wild and new and crazy like, uh, and when I say new, I mean new for me because obviously it was new at the time um i seem to kind of just let it wash over me and just not really pay it much mind i guess but like uh and i think i too i dug too much into the isn't this just normal rock music mode but it isn't um and i think i'm gonna reassess murmur at the end of these episodes when we do scores oh to reckon you're not even gonna save it for the end of part one episodes no by the way, this week we're digging into their second album, Reckoning. Oh yes, Whoa. you could you could save that for the halfway or end end of season. He can do what he likes. End of he chapter one. No, whatever we're calling it. <laughs> he could. He, he just no. Anyway, no. who remembers exactly where we left the boys in REM? Uh, Mike last Mills. Time we were with them. Mike Mills. Okay. Bill Berry. Okay. Bill Burr. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Michael Stipe. I love yeah. this. Where do we leave yeah. them? Mike, and the other, Mike Mills. And, and, and the other one. And the other one. Peter Buck. Yeah. Well. Who, who is R.E.M.? 
by the way, just so you know. Um, Steve, go, g- give it a go. Give it a go. I, I reckon oh. you, you've got a better memory than Lucas. Where were they? Where were they? <laughs> I don't fucking remember. All right, anything. fine. I it don't remember anything. Ago. It was weeks ages ago. ago. They well, just headlined Coachella for the first time. That's incorrect. Coachella's not a festival <laughs> yet. <laughs> they, they released, well, it's the 80s. They released Murmur to incredible acclaim and moderate commercial success. Yeah. Uh, and then they, of course, toured it. We left them very precisely uh, at their first European shows in November 1983. They are kind of beginning to become figureheads of a new musical movement. That is where we got to in the story of R.E.M., and of course, before we get digging into albums, we like to explore the context that surrounds the records and to examine the events that lead up to them. Reckoning is released on April the 17th, 1984 in the US, okay? One year and five days after Murmur. Um, That's quick, isn't it? It is. It's, it's 10 tracks and 39 minutes long, which is also okay, quick. It's good, good length. length. Good yeah. length. It's two tracks and five minutes shorter than Murmur. Uh, it's produced by Mitch Easter and Don Dixon. You recognise those names. Come on now. Classic. Classic Mitch Alliteration. Easter Bring in the more alliteration. Love it. Uh, the artwork is by Howard Finster uh, and Michael Stipe. Let's have a little look at that artwork because we like to start the albums with the artwork. Um, it's drawn by Michael Stipe. Uh, it's a picture of Snakes. a... Yeah, well... Ah, interesting. You said snakes. It's a two-headed snake. Yeah. Uh, Oh, yeah. Michael Stipe said it was an attempt to represent the elements, saying that part of the picture is rocks, part of it is a thunderstorm, part of it is the sun, and part of it is the sky. Now that's not the really sun. the elements, to be honest with you. Oh uh, yeah. But he also said there's that like that there's like there's also... like sixty plus elements. You're thinking of the periodic table. <laughs> They're elements. The period. Sorry, continue the sentence. The periodic table of elements of stuff in it. It's just all, yeah, the like stuff. all the all the bits. Like where's um, cadmium? Where's cadmium on this? Left. On I don't left. know. I think it's it just left. means those those classic four elements. Uh, but he also said it's the band. They had had a discussion. They just they discuss, They decided that each member of the band represents a different element. <laughs> oh, one of, one of them's a thunderstorm. Yeah. Well, we can imagine that conversation. Yeah, guys, absolutely. guys, which guys, what which one of us has watched Element? Um, I think oh. I'm Earth because I'm boring. Yeah, yeah, that's maybe that's true. I'm the wind because I'm a free spirit, I think. Yeah. Lucas is uranium. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fire because if you touch me, you get burned. Oh, lovely. Oh. Um, <laughs> so Michael Stipe drew this artwork and then he sent it to Howard Finster to fill in as a painting. Um, what do you think of it? It's a bit shit. Yeah, it is. I think, I, think, <laughs> I think it's a bit shit. Yeah, me too. It just, makes were... me, it just makes me think of Snakes and Ladders. Yes, it does have a Snakes and Ladders vibe because it's, they're, all, they're, they're like partitioned, right? And they have like spaces where you can put the pieces. Yeah, um, and, they're, and they're just like, I don't know, the image of a 2D snake swirling downwards yeah. is a snake in Snakes and Ladders. Also, Snakes and Ladders, a game purely chance in that game. There's no yes, skill so to that game. You are on record that that board game winds you up. Oh, have we talked about this before? <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> Of course we have. Okay, good, good. Same is also true of Mousetrap. Oh, yeah, but you, at least you get to build the thing, right? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's fun. I mean, I used to just build it and then yep. set it off. Same. Yep. Why it's bother just a Rube Goldberg machine, isn't it? It's yeah, just Rube Goldberg. Exactly. It's just fun. Why, why bother playing the game? Um, I do like the, the, the background 
has got like lots and lots of pictures in it. That's quite nice. Mm. In the album artwork, not in Mousetrap. Um, <laughs> and then you've got the song names. Yes, you do. On, on the front mm. cover, which I think is interesting. Yeah. I think they were ultimately a bit disappointed with the result. I've seen Stipe say that having to work long distance interfered with the process of the piece. The process of re-photographing it meant that a lot of detail was lost and Michael Stipe was on tour, so couldn't be as involved as he would have liked. It's like, it's, I don't think, it's fine. It's not super evocative, but it does kind of have that rough and ready DIY kind of thing going for it. Um, yeah. If you want to lean into REM being from the South and them beginning to describe themselves as a folk rock band, as we discussed last week, then it has a kind of a folk art kind of vibe to it. That's me being very generous and very kind about it, you know? Um, The back cover has photos of each of the members of the band, but they're all, like, a bit off. They're, like, poorly framed, or they're at an unflattering angle, or they're, like, deliberately smudged. Uh, Peter Buck, uh, for his photo, grew a goatee, put on a jumper that made him look obese, and sat and sat at a piano, which is an instrument that he cannot play. And he was o- hoping that everyone would look at the photo and think, "Ah, oh, yes, the fat bearded piano player of the band." And it worked. <laughs> it worked because one of one of one of the reviewers praised his piano playing on the album, none of which was him. Um, right. Also, no lyric sheet. As you know, we're only two albums yeah, in, yeah. but as is tradition. I can't remember if, if this was for Murmur or for Reckoning, but the record label wanted to include a lyric sheet and so asked Michael Stipe for one. So he wrote down like a few of the lines that he liked from the album, all disconnected. And then he included some that didn't even make it into the songs that he'd written. And then he rearranged them into a short story that, quote, almost made sense and gave the record label one paragraph of that story. And the record label's response was, well, I guess we just won't include a lyric sheet then. Right. <laughs> which, okay. which is great. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, that's so obtuse. Just say no. Yeah, I know, right? But he was, I think he was given an opportunity to do something artistic and interesting. And the, the record label ultimately were the ones who just said no. You know? He nah. wasn't given the opportunity. They asked him for a lyric sheet. <laughs> Yeah. He wasn't given the opportunity to come up well, with a short story at all. Okay. No one asked for that. Lucas, have you got that report we've been waiting for? No, but I, what I've done is I've created a story made of parts of... Lucas, that's not all we asked for. I guess we're not going to include the He had the an opportunity in so far that he has an opportunity to do that on any day of his life. Okay, he wasn't given an opportunity. He saw an opportunity. The album title, it's called Reckoning. Uh, it was going to be called Rate of Decay, which is quite a funny name for a second album, but it's called Reckoning. What does that conjure for you? Unfortunately, it conjures a Radiohead song. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it just makes me think of Reckoner. Yeah. It yeah, makes okay. me think of uh, a bad sequel name to an action movie. Yes. De- dead R.E.M. Dead Reckoning. Gun 2. The Reckoning. <laughs> yeah. Dead Gun 2. Dead Gun. I, I'm I'd making watch it. That. I would call yeah, that's, that. that's a Dolph Lundgren joint of ever saw. Hundred percent. What um what what does the word conjure for you? And end of the world, isn't it? End, oh, end you reckon end of the world? That's oh, that's 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 heavy. I that's what it is, isn't it? The reckoning. No, that's. I mean, that is it is referred to as that, but that's because the word reckoning means like coming to terms with something. Yeah, to get and, or, yeah. or to get your. I, I mostly think of like getting your comeuppance. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, but it's not specifically they're, they're, apocalypse uh, based. They'll eventually have a reckoning. The bads, the bad ones, they'll eventually have their reckoning. I'm not sure it fits in with the themes of the album. Um, so I then kind of apply it to the band, and maybe it's them coming to terms with themselves. You know, and again, I'm being generous. What have they been reckoning about themselves? Well, I don't know. I, I wonder if this is them having to now live up to the hype that surrounds them. Right. The second album is their reckoning, you know? Yeah. Uh, they have to come to terms with something about themselves. I mean, that's a push. But if also, if Michael Stipe is to be believed, which, much like all members of REM, he very often is not to be believed, uh, reckoning isn't even the real title of the album. Sure. What is it? Snakes. Snakey boys. Snakey boys. The spine of the US vinyl, well, the spine of all the vinyls, actually, has two titles on it. Uh, one's Reckoning, and the other is File Underwater. Um, There's a lot of water on the album. There is a lot of water on the album. We will, of course, be checking in on Water Watch every now and again. Oh, yeah. It's just something that I've got a little feature. Um, Waterworld. Uh, Stipe has said that he considers that the title, File Under water i think the the main reason it became primarily known as reckoning is that the uk distributor insisted that they put reckoning on the front cover in the us it just says rem on the front i think that's the one you're probably looking at it's Mm, the one on spotify whereas above rem in the little white thing in the uk it says reckoning so yeah do they ever come do they ever make a a logo because also shit about the front cover that rem is just like it's just some it's, just it's like a hand-drawn thing. No, they don't have a logo. I've never. They don't ever come up with like that's the way you write REM. That's the font and the typeface. No. Changes for every album. But then why would you need to when REM looks like a logo already? Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, the dots. Well, not if you're in, not design, if you're in like, cursive. Why not? Which wouldn't be as good. I think it's a good bit of branding because it makes them completely uncategorizable. You don't know what kind of band a band called R.E.M. is going to be. Whereas when they were going to be called Cans of Piss, you know what that band sounds like, you know? Bluegrass. If they were called Cans of Piss, we would not be talking about them today. Absolutely not. No one one would ever have heard of them. No. No. Um, (laughs) All right. Reckoning. Cans of Piss. They're reckoning with themselves. It's their quote-unquote difficult second album. You know, everyone has that second album syndrome. Murmur was such a smash hit as well. What does this album sound like uh it's bright and fun i think it's definitely more upbeat yeah it still sounds and this is something we'll obviously we'll get into and i think we'll get into on every single episode it still sounds like rem yeah 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 Yeah. okay um what does it sound like in comparison to murmur um murmur had i think a lot more going on and maybe challenged you a little bit more than this does i think this is a bit more uh accessible no, I'll go for that. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's like wildly different. Uh, I de- it definitely is more uh, accessible and listenable. Like it took me far fewer listens to be like, I recognise these songs. Yes, reckoning guys. This these yeah, songs. Yes, I'm. Uh, Sorry, I, I do think want. I, uh, I'm thinking. Uh, I'm reckoning I'm... these songs are less challenging than Murmur. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm thinking. I'm back. Yeah, I, okay. I think. I think. Yeah. I think it's more immediate. I think it's more of an immediate... Oh, it's uh, way more immediate. It's far yeah. less ethereal. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think that the spikiness is is back a little bit. Um, it, was, it was more... I was reading a lot about this. It's more in keeping with the band's live sound. Right. Um, so a lot of it is just the band playing. The bits on 
murmur where they were composing things in the studio or they were adding in atmospheric tracks and doing all this kind of, yeah, the, the atmospheric work, that isn't as apparent on this album, I don't mm-hmm. think. There's less, uh, there's less of what we have in the past called faffy bollocks, right? Yep. Yeah, it's it's a much much more. Yeah, you're right. The word is immediate. It's, it's a much more immediate album, which means it was recorded very very quickly. Right. Um, we did a commentary episode where we watched a show from between Chronic Town and Murmur. If you remember that, um, yep. and we saw them play a bunch of stuff from Murmur. Um, if we had done one for Murmur, we would have seen them play a bunch of stuff that ends up on this album, Reckoning. And in a couple of weeks, when we do one from the Reckoning era, we'll see them play some songs from their like third and fourth albums. Oh, right. That is just kind of what they do. Uh, they write stuff all the time and then immediately begin playing it live. And they are obviously at this point playing live constantly. Um, Peter Buck, who is R.E.M., said that during the tour after Murmur, they were writing two good songs a week, which is like, that's a crazy output. Um, and so just before those European shows, those first European shows we were talking about last time, just before those, they spent a day in a San Francisco recording studio called Rhythmic River Studios, and they were joined by Elliot Mazer, uh, the producer most well-known for his work with Neil Young. They had one day in the studio, and in that day, they recorded 22 songs. Um, wow. As, as like demos, that they recorded them to two-track tape, but it was 22 live takes in just one studio session. Um, and so they had this kind of wealth of material, and Peter Buck tried to convince everybody that their second album should be a double album, and that was vetoed. Um, and then they considered doing the whole album with Elliot Mazer, but I guess landed on if it ain't broke, don't fix it, and went back to Reflection Studios in Charlotte, North Carolina, where they recorded Murmur, and they recorded these songs with Mitch Easter and Don Dixon, who produced Murmur. Um, there was an interesting kind of process to it, which is... It, it, we're going to be talking about Murmur a lot, yeah. basically. Because so, so much of it, it happens so quickly. Like I said, this comes out like... Uh, in the UK, this comes out less than a year after Murmur. They record it in like February 1984, and Murmur out came out in April 1983. So it's an incredibly quick turnaround for them. Um, but before producing Murmur, Don Dixon, one of the producers, actually hadn't seen the band perform live yet. Um, and so after Murmur, he saw them live and came away with a kind of more rounded impression of the strengths and weaknesses of the band. Uh, and so Dixon went into the recording ses- sessions for reckoning wanting the guitars to sound more like they did in their live setup and to make a bit more of a a rock record you know what i mean yeah um it it took a bit of pushing of course you know the 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 band on murmur wanted to avoid cliched rock music altogether but also the band at that time saw themselves as primarily a live band which i think is interesting mm. they didn't see themselves as uh, a recording outfit or an album's band they were a live outfit and so they were willing to as dixon puts it rock out a bit Ugh. more oh. um <laughs> and i think you, guys, you, I think you can hear that out. yeah i think so <laughs> reckoning reckoning's a bit heavier than than murmur right? yeah i think it's a bit heavier and it's absolutely 
it feels live. There's tracks yes. that end at a completely different tempo, uh, and yeah, and yeah, not, actually, and not in yeah. necessarily on purpose. Uh, it, it's interesting to me that when you when when you make when you have your debut album, you've got a hundred songs because you've been writing since you were fourteen or whatever, and you pick from those songs and make your album. And then your second album, it's like we've done these songs and that's going on. To me, it's it's very cool considering it was a year that they had double the amount of songs and had to pick it for the second album. So immediately after the first one. I mean, there's a few things around that. I mean, some of the songs that end up on this album are from before Murmur. That, okay. Like some, the, some of these are some of the first songs they wrote, um, uh, which I think is interesting. Um, we'll get into that, I think, as we go through them, maybe. But it's definitely a bit more of a robust sound. It's a bit more of a straightforward rock album, you know. It's a bit of a darker album as well. Uh, but there, I think there is also quite... It, it sounds very clean. Hmm. Not clean as in like, you know, they use some distorted guitars and, you know, it gets a bit hectic in places. But there's a there's a good amount of space on the album. Um, and that comes from Don Dixon become, becoming very into the process of binaural recording. Um, it's used a lot on the album. And, of course, we've talked about the binaural recording process before, right? That's with the... In rainbows. The yeah, ear, yeah, the yeah, yeah. Shape exactly. Thing. Is that the ears? Yeah. Um, it's two it doesn't microphones. have to be shaped like an ear, but it's two microphones, isn't it, is the main thing. Two microphones placed into typically a mould of the human head in order to replicate the way that humans hear things. Dixon made his own binaural head contraption out of cardboard and put two microphones inside it. And a lot of the songs are recorded that way. Um, Mitch Easter said it made Bill Berry's drums part sound fresher. Uh, and it meant that they could record Mike Mills' backing vocals with him standing about 15 feet away from the microphones. And it puts those backing vocals into a space so that you could mix them quite loud, but it, but it wouldn't overpower anything. Because they sound like they're in the background. Exactly. The binaural technique makes them sound realistically far away. Um, it's an interesting process. It's an interesting result on the album, I think, which, again, we'll kind of talk, as, uh, talk about as we get through the songs. Should we do it on this? What, do some binaural stuff? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> I thought you meant talk about the album on this episode. <laughs> no, I meant like, should we, do some binaural, <laughs> should we do some binaural recordings? We just know you're going to do your ASMR there, Lucas, and you're going to start doing little talking down here. Like you. Yeah, like that woman on the internet who licks the thing that's shaped like an ear. Oh. What? Is it just my TikTok that serves me that? That's fine. <laughs> does it, does it, just because you keep liking it, it, sharing it, <laughs> yeah, commenting on it, it. <laughs> commenting over and over again. Just do it to my ear. Emoji. Do it to my ear. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing. It's weird how it keeps popping up. I, know, I just don't understand it. I don't understand how the algorithm works. <laughs> so the plan was to basically try and capture what REM sounded like live. So obviously the way to achieve that was record them playing live. Oh, that's clever. Yes. Yeah. A lot of this album is recorded by just recording the band playing the songs until they have a take that they like, which didn't take very long because they've been playing them for a while already. And then they just added some embellishments. They tidied some things up. They overdubbed some vocals. And that, that was it. They were done. Th- three of the songs just have their original scratch takes as vocals, which are the ones that he would have just done in the room live with the band as they were performing. Um, uh, Peter Buck stopped doing the very heavy multi-track layering that he did for Murmur. Uh, there's no songs with like 12 layers of acoustic guitars or whatever here. He just, all of his guitar overdub, overdubs were usually like he doubled or tripled 
parts that he already played in order to like beef them up for like choruses or something like that. The rest is all just live, which isn't to say that there's absolutely like no slightly avant-garde stuff going on because Dixon and Easter, the producers, they loved that shit, but they actually had to convince the band to push that a little bit more. The band were keen on a purely live sound and then kind of loosened up as the recording went on. Not that it actually went on for very long. The actual length of the recording sessions, it differs depending on who you ask, basically. The studio diary has 16 days of recording. Um, (laughs) They booked four weeks from December 1983 with a break for Christmas built in, but actually only used the first and last week that they booked. Uh, 16 days in in the studio diary. Don Dixon reckons it was 25 days. Some of them he was doing 18 hours of work a day. Mitch Easter says it was 20. The album sleeve says they recorded it in 14 days. And in interviews, Peter Buck, who is R.E.M., said that the album was recorded in 11 days. Um, I, I think what he's doing there is he's deducting the time that it spent that they, that they spent recording B-sides because they didn't just record the 10 songs. They recorded a bunch of other shit and they recorded a music video and they went to the cinema one evening. And so he's like deducting all of that How time How do you from know it. they went to the cinema one evening? Because I've read interviews with them. Why is that an important fact that we need because, to know? Because Peter Buck, who is R.E.M., uh, kept going on about like this album was recorded in 11 days and we even had time to play a gig and go to the cinema and stuff like that. Did you say what they saw? No, he didn't. Yeah. Shame. Uh, I mean, like all things REM, it's it's impossible to know the truth. Everyone has a different answer. Uh, I think Buck is just playing up to the press there. Even if it was 20 days or whatever, very short. Yeah. Three weeks of recording is mad <laughs> for, for an album. Um, and it was short, obviously because of how they recorded it, but also by design. They wanted to keep the energy up, you know, get it done. They also wanted to be in and out of the recording studio before the record label had a chance to come in and interfere. Nice. Um, IRS records were like passing notes to Easter and Dixon that were like we need this record to be more commercial than Murmur come on guys please let's let's go let's pull it together here Um, and the producers again acted as like a buffer between the band and the record label Uh, REM they really just want to be left to their own creative devices Easter and Dixon mostly ignored the notes that were sent to them Um, and Peter Buck also spoke about being super aware of the difficult second album syndrome so he wanted to just get in and get it done on instinct rather than overthink that position they were in and one thing that they all did agree on was that despite its success they didn't want to just make murmur Two electric boogaloo yes i saw your look (laughs) (laughs) i didn't say it but you lent in Um, and then adam said it was perfect that obviously makes it sound like the the sessions were like easy breezy uh uh, and that's because they mostly were, although Michael Stipe was kind of struggling. He was just completely worn out from that tour schedule. I mean, they'd basically been on tour since late 1980 at this point, but 1983 was especially hectic for them. And it was the first time they'd kind of gone outside of America to play shows. And Don Dixon said that Stipe was just kind of shut down. It was difficult to get him to open up and get usable vocal takes from him. Um they would show up to the studio around noon, just the two of them, Don Dixon and Michael Stipe, before any of the others got there, just to work on vocals. But I think it was a struggle. The vocals that they end up with, though, I think, much more legible. Um, m- maybe not like in terms of like pronunciation or whatever, but they are mixed quite a bit higher in the mix. Yeah. You know, The vocals are now a main instrument, right? 
Yeah, they're definitely mixed more in the mix. Yeah, it's not like, uh, I was going to say murmuring, uh, like bleeding into the guitars and stuff. Um, yeah, it's it's mixed like traditional vocals, Yeah, now, I think, more or less. I'm, but it is definitely still keys. And there's a lot of that. Now, in in places I think that's true. I do think we need to make some allowances for the fact that that's how you hear lyrics anyway. Well, this is true. I hear, apparently, it turns out I hear all lyrics like they're singing in Welsh. Yeah, or yeah. like the Sim language from the yeah, Sims. Yeah, yeah. It's all schmers. It's called Simlish. Right. <laughs> okay, sorry. I saw a good um, thing that said that Simlish sounds like speaking Italian with an American accent. Yeah. And it's like spot on. Hmm. If you ever, th- I mean, I'm not going to try it because I'll sound like a dick. Arrivederci. Yeah. There you go. Buongiorno. Yeah. yeah. yeah no, Buongiorno. Do you know what? Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it does. Um, yes, the lyrics, they're still opaque. But they are much more present in the songs, you know. Um, Can I ask? Yeah, a silly question yeah, yeah. about yeah, of course, recording live bands because so many bands did it, do it, and then they do overdubs. Yeah, there will be bleed right into the different microphones. Yeah. If you're then overdubbing, I guess let's say you need to redo the vocals, you'd remove the vocals, add new vocals, but there'd still be the old vocals there. No, vocals especially are very easy to mix out because they're not going to get picked up by the mic that is on the guitar ramp, are they? Oh, yeah. Yeah, good point. Yes. Okay, fine. <laughs> not even just... like a tiny bit in the background, though? Like a little maybe, bit of... maybe, yeah. but probably not. And also you tend to put vocals in a little booth, even though, even though you're recording live. Yeah, I guess they're going to have some stuff around the room to shield them and all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, no. yeah, exactly. I just wondered if there's like little um, artifacts. on. There must be on every album, I guess, but it's just so lost in yeah. everything else. And that's what makes it feel mm. alive mm, and stuff. Yes. Um Lucas, you kind of picked out one of them already, but did you pick out any of the other themes on this album? I mean, to get don't don't give me too much credit here, uh, and this is one of the things I was going to point out about this when you're going to sort of ask my general thoughts is, I am finding that I need to dig into the lyrics on yep. things like Genius Lyrics, A, because I need to know what they say. Mm-hmm. which obviously is what we do and you don't, which is the funny thing this season. That's the gimmick of this season. Yeah, Adam doesn't look at the lyrics. Always, always got to have a gimmick. Uh, but also because um, I, A, well, A, I can't interpret lyrics myself, so I need someone to tell me what they mean. Uh, but also because musically there isn't as much there for me in a Radiohead-esque way, right? Like when we did Radiohead, obviously there's, I was constantly talking about the form more than anything else, right? Uh, Manix, again, was almost uh, the what are they singing about thing, but it was clearer, and you were telling me. Uh, so I'm finding I need to dig into that stuff, because otherwise I'm, I, don't have as, I don't really have as much to grab onto, because it all kind of sounds, and I know it doesn't, not to be disparaging, and Steve says he's trying to avoid it, but this sounds quite normal. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so when I say uh, the water thing, I would not have picked up on that if I hadn't read the lyrics and seen a point of being like, this is one of many references to water, at which point I go, Oh, yeah. There's loads of references to water. That's fine. That's still you, you know, picking it out and realising it, you know? Yeah. Just because just you had the little prompt. You could you could have seen a thing that said, oh, there's loads of references to water, and you could have gone like, no, there isn't. <laughs> you'd, have been, you'd have been wrong. But, I would have been you wrong. Know, I'd have been an idiot. <laughs> I think like four of the songs are concerned with or mention water, which probably explains the other title, obviously. Um, a couple of uh, water. political leaders mentioned. 
and yeah and, oh is there a couple i know there's one yeah. i picked out one hey I picked out hey, one that's not bad um, and and then like america yeah now uh mixed bag isn't yeah. it in terms of themes there's there's some stuff water traditionally used as a metaphor for change so he could be writing about the changes they were going through what? with their, is, with is, their is, newfound is success. Yeah, yeah, is absolutely. The way that river flows and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. The fact that they are suddenly figureheads that people are looking to probably represented a big change for them. So maybe he's got water on the mind. But, I mean, not all water flows like a river. What about puddles? <laughs> yeah, yeah. True, but, they, but they they evaporate and then return. And, you know, Gosh. water is constantly changing and moving. It's always been used mm. that way in poetry. What about in, if I just fill up my bath writing? and leave it like that for a year? Mm-hmm. Well, it's moving. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's, gonna, it's gonna grow life, isn't it? So that's that's changed. It is once he's been in it. Yeah, yeah. Jesus Christ, with his what does foot that even mean? as well. Oh God, yeah. uh, you're dirty yeah, or something. Like I don't yeah, know. I reckon. Yeah. There's some there's some darker stuff on on the record as well. There's 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 a song that's specifically concerned with death. Um, the whole album does feel a little bit murky. There's some dark imagery slipping in, but other than that, right? And other than the fact that they're all being written by the same people in the same time period i don't find loads of stuff that ties these songs together no um what i did find was this peter buck quote from around the time and he is rem he is rem the first album we made was a coherent whole all the songs were interlocked this one is 10 songs there's no attempt to tie them together in any way or make the production unified or sustain a feeling. And I think that's very interesting. Uh, it's also R.E.M., so you don't necessarily have to believe that. But I did see it on the album. Uh, Mitch Easter, for instance, said they had a bunch of songs that they wanted to record, and it was that simple. So it feels more like just a collection of songs that they had at the time, rather than a statement or a piece. which. You know, loads of albums were like that back in the day, right? Yeah. And then if they want it to be like a live show, it's a bunch of songs put together in a set list, right? Yeah. So, so if, you know, it's going to be not as joined together for that reason, right? If they want it to sound like that. I think the 80s, it's kind of par for the course, especially when you think that they are kind of have their roots in punk, which is kind of uh, a reaction it's kind of against this idea of very like highfalutin concept albums and stuff like that in the 80s a lot of rock bands are putting out albums that are just here's the latest collection of songs that we've written in this time period um kind of part of the course it did mean that the focus was not it's not on tone and it's not on atmosphere and it's not on cohesion it's on the songwriting and almost on a purely individual basis like, the idea was just to get each song to the best it could be. And you know what? For my money, it might just be a collection of songs, but good songs. Good for me. Good songs. I mean, it works for me because, you know, it's just a bunch of songs I can put on shuffle. Oh, you could put this album on shuffle. I'm convinced this is a, a highly shuffleable album. And they were uh, thinking that back then. They were thinking one day you'll be able to put this on shuffle you could. when shuffle's a you thing. You could do it with vinyl. You just got to keep just moving the needle around. Yeah, you keep, the best. keep doing it yourself. Yeah, um, but people would often switch up what side they would play first. If you're at a party or whatever, you wouldn't necessarily you'd just play. Oh, I'm going to put side two on. You could do that, and and so the side two maybe becomes side one if you want to then continue listening to it. Um, they weren't thinking obviously like, oh, you could put this album on shuffle or anything near that. But 
I have seen people like I, I think Don Dixon is disappointed with the sequencing of this record because REM just kind of decided it in about twenty minutes. Really, <laughs> went, like this, this is what it's going to be, and I think the producers were like, "Well, hang on, let's just like let's slow down, let's figure out what the best order of these songs is going to be." And REM were like impatient, just went, "Nah, just put them in this order." Um, having said that, I do think it's quite well sequenced. Like, yeah, I, I was going to say, kind yeah. of works. Well, it they put tra- they put number seven second, which is. Are you just guessing? Well, no, it says seven and says Chinese bros. Right. Oh, I see. So, okay. I see. Yeah. yeah. So that should be number six. Yeah. So they've obviously just, but they've, and then, weird that they've put the and track. And then the third number. one, they've put track 50 in third. That's yeah. weird. And I, I got my numbers mixed yep. up and I would thought he was saying that track seven was second. And I was saying, are you guessing? Because track six is second guessing. It's a mess. We're all, we're the, whole doing, thing, the whole thing's a mess. We're all doing things, aren't we? Mess. <laughs> and I don't still really get what Steve was doing with 50. Oh, the word so. The word yeah. so could, yeah. be, could be a 50. Could be a five, couldn't it? Um, I, I'm going to just, I'm going to throw this uh, question out there. I think I know the answer. Any previous experience with this album at all? Nope. Uh, yeah, like the last few weeks I've been listening to it. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Before that? No. Okay, cool. No. So far, not at a stage where I know or recognise any of these songs, even in a vague, like, oh. Maybe. Just not a single song yeah. for you guys yeah. at all from this. Yeah. Wow. Maybe it, maybe I have heard them, but I don't remember. Yeah, fair. It's not like like even like early Mannix, right? Uh, what was it? Motorcycle Emptiness. I was like, yeah. I'm vaguely aware of this existence of this song. And that was the thing it. is, if they were going to be playing R.E.M. on the radio when we were young, it would have been all the 90s R.E.M. that was coming out at the time. They don't want to go, here's, been here's seven origin. Chinese yeah. brothers. Yeah. You say that when they're playing Mannix on the radio now, they're not playing the Ultra Vivid Lament, are they? They're playing Australia. No, but I think we can all agree that Losing My Religion is a bigger song than anything that's on Reckoning. Uh... But <laughs> case in point, you've heard it. Yeah. <laughs> you hadn't heard any of these. Yeah. Also, case, also case in point, I know what that song is based on name, which is another yeah. thing I've noticed. And I don't know if it's because we're, we're doing more music now because we're doing all the other shows that we're doing and stuff. Or if it's... Uh, we're not having less time with the album, so that's not true. But I, so far, couldn't name a single R.E.M. song. He is very intent on making it very difficult for you to know what the titles are. Yeah, if you it like, I couldn't name a single song off the last album that we've done an episode on. A uh, single catapult. song. Catapult. catapult. There you go. If I heard yeah, yeah. one, I'd maybe go, "This is called something." Yeah, but yeah, if you yeah. told me now, just off the top of my head, to bring one up, I don't think I could. Mad. Interesting. They just don't. They just don't go in. But maybe again, it's because yeah, they're not as uh, as overt in the lyrics. Whereas like, I keep comparing them to the Manics, but they're the closest parallel we have on the show. The, the bands we've covered, um, you know. Designed for life, they say those words a lot in the song. Yeah, that's true. Although I think the, the same is true of R.E.M. Well, maybe it's just... You can't really hear it. <laughs> well, what was your experience of this album? You presumably... Oh, dickhead. Of course you didn't hear it when it came out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> where's this in your... You, I can't imagine you got into R.E.M. through uh, Reckoning. Uh, not quite, but very close to the REM album that I was least familiar with before doing this podcast. Well, this one, I would say, reckoning. Oh wow, cool. yes. Uh, obviously, now I'm very familiar with it. But be- before this, I would almost never pick up this album. I'm not sure why. It might be the murkiness, but I just did not do it all in one go very often. On the flip side to that, it contains a couple 
of my favorite REM songs of all time. Uh, so I knew some of the bigger songs from it. And actually, do you know what? I've downplayed that. I've said it contains a couple of my favorite REM songs of all time. It contains a couple of my favorite songs of all time. Uh, this album. This is. I mean, I still. This is going to be the ongoing saga of this season, but it's, I still find it so remarkable that that they're one of your favorite bands. Well, I had an interesting uh, thought when I was listening to this album about uh, you know obviously what you value in music, um, and yeah. very often that is not the songwriting. Yeah, yeah, and these are incredibly written songs, and you might just have to take my word on it. Or I, or I could not take your work on it and we could have a fight about it. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, you should fight. I don't, I don't mind. I don't mind which one we do, to be honest. But I'll be in, I'll be in the car park at 10pm. And you can only use your right. legs. Really? Because I, really, I reckon at 10pm I'm still going to be recording. Uh, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So we're recording fight. Part-timer. <laughs> but again, you can only use your legs. Yeah, just the legs. And I've got a huge advantage here with his foot the way it is. Yeah. And well. he's got yeah. six legs. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, but you won't want to go near mine because you'll be like, eh, what's going on there? <laughs> you'll be like wincing. <laughs> um, guys, as always, the sides are named. Uh, oh. In this case, it's L and R or left and right. Or left and, right. That's good. Uh, and we, we start with the left side. Uh, and track one on the left side is Harbour Coat. A, uh, a real kind of burst bop. of energy to open with. Yeah, it's a real bop. And you know, you asked me what uh, you know why uh, REM such a pillar for me, which kind of coincides with the question, why do you like REM so much? All three of us were just bopping along to that. Sometimes that's all you need from music, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yes, I guess what interest what, what I find interesting and surprising is you normally do need more from music. No, or that's at least, not the case, or at least, to, or at least, I would have, I would, I would have imagined to be considered one of your favourite bands. So yes, sometimes you'll just listen to a thing because it's a bop. But the fact that a bop is something that is a pillar for you, I guess is what's interesting to me. Manics satisfy the lyric writing for me. Radiohead satisfy the music making for me. There's some little space in there for just some bops, and that's where R.E.M. come in, I reckon. Lovely stuff. I reckon that might be what it is. But, like, I just... Okay, we're going to have to dig into... We're not going to deal with this episode. We're going to have to dig into what songwriting is at some point. I think that might be 
because I, I do like to be understood and I do want you to understand what I like about REM. That is kind of the point of this podcast. We will get into songwriting at some point. Um, second albums are funny on this podcast, I think, because we always try and place the albums that we cover into the context of an artist's career up to that point. But of course, we've only had one album by the time we get to the second album. So a lot of our comparisons and us placing it into context are just going to be in relation to Murmur, right? Um, And then there's also the fact that the band were of the mind to not just repeat Murmur. um, And that's relevant to you know, that's a relevant bit of context that warrants comparing the two. So forgive us if a lot of our discussion is just kind of, yeah, but what what does it sound like in comparison to Murmur? Do you remember how Murmur started? Oh, what song opened Murmur? I mean, yeah, see, there you go. That's just something, that's kind of what I was talking about earlier about, not like it doesn't, yeah. not just the song titles, not but I'm like, what the, fuck does that, what the fuck does that album start with? It started with Radio Free Europe. Yeah, um, like, And it started uh, with that noise. Yeah. It's like, just like this kind of like eerie sound that built to the first track yeah. that kind of had that air of mystery about it it was studio trickery this one opposite just a quick drum fill and you're straight into like a high energy sort of track right and i would say we've said it a bunch of this podcast already we're only two albums in hey that sounds like rem i would say that this is the classic rem sound mm-hmm. um this possibly has more in common with like Chronic Town than Murmur. Oh yeah, I could see that. Murmur didn't have a lot of songs with this sound on it. Radio Free Europe a bit, Sitting Still a bit, and that's kind of it. But the sound is Steve bright. Yeah, uh, I've written down shiny. Uh, the verse is a bit spiky with those very like propulsive drums. You can dance to it, which is an important part of REM as a live act. They were very insistent. They wanted to make music you can dance to. And then the chorus is very anthemic. It's such a release. Um, and then the bridge is cool as well with that like tr- tremolo guitar and, and harmonica. Um, Sorry, how are you then also not mentioning the bass? Oh, yeah. That's, well, where the, that's where the bop comes in, is the bop. It's the little <laughs> with a slap bass. Is it slap bass? I don't know. It's at Luke, least you describe slap the bass as being all over the neck. Oh, it's all over the neck. But also, it's just got a good slappage to it. It's yeah, good. That's accentuated with the guitar as well, where he's doing like upstrokes, going. It's a bit. It's got a bit of a skank to it. Yeah, yeah. My 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 first notes, and this is where I hope I've got them right. Says Dat Bass, Bill Berry, mate. No, no, no. We are of course. Yes, we are the internet's only official Mike Mills podcast at this point. I'll have you know. Okay. I can't say official, unofficial, unofficial Mike Mills right, fan okay. cast yeah, okay. is what we are. Yeah, I can't say official. Have we um, decided that? Did we decide that he's the one we're going to stand this season? Yes, yes. Oh, we decided yeah. we are a Mike Mills podcast. Of course. Yes, that's correct. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, I think great opener to the album. What do you think? Yeah, really good. Really good stuff. Really enjoyed this. And then you're just talking about the songwriting in general. It's like it starts, yeah, immediately. And you've got the drums just doing the, the, the normal 4-4 rock beat. But then... Normal. When it comes out into the the verse, yeah, you go into that kind of disco beat, the stuff on the offbeat, um, mm-hmm. not playing uh, the hi hat with the snare at the same time. Um, you do the verse, and then you're like, "Oh, it's gonna be a no, it's just verse again." There's yeah, little bait. And they switch do that again a lot on this I album. Know, and we I know. We talked about it. We talked about it. We also talked about the last episode, right? About them holding off on the chorus. Yeah, yeah. Classic like REM trick. Yeah, you absolutely. Get it? Not yet, you cheeky monkey. And then, or, also a lot the, or also a lot of the time, the choruses are just like, there's not a lot. They're quite short or basic. 
get a lot yeah, of and lot of yeah, then you, then it widens out into this this like Adam said anthemic chorus where he's just saying, "Find my harbour coat. I can't go outside without it." There, there. That is something about REM actually is that in a lot of pop music um, and rock music, artists would save their more complex and interesting melodies for the chorus because that's the bit that would grab grab people's attention. You want something that's interesting to grab people's attention. R.E.M. just did the opposite. Quite simple choruses, but Mm. everything that's happening in the verse is super complex, where it's like the guitar is weaved in with the bass, and then there's another melody coming from the vocals. And then the standout thing uh, for me on this track is the dual vocal. It's basically a dual lead vocal. They're given basically equal space and work as counter melodies for each other. Really effective, really weird. It's it's quite a weird thing to do, but I think it works wonderfully, and it's something that becomes a hallmark of the REM style over the next couple of years as well. Which is interesting that uh, that Michael Stipe is obviously solely he doesn't play an instrument, yeah, and yet he is so willing to share that responsibility. Almost, you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 absolutely. He he does it more on this album than he did on Murmur. I think he did quite a lot of his own backing vocals on Murmur. This one, he does give them to Mike Mills. I think Michael Stipe is still writing what Mike Mills is saying. Uh, although sometimes Mike Mills will, will write lines and go, is this okay, Michael? And Michael will say like, <laughs> yes or no. Uh, again, we, are, we love Mike Mills. Mike. Yeah, I yeah I Mike and the same Michael. Thing. Yeah. yeah, and they're both on the mic. And then um, Buck and Berry as well. <laughs> Yeah, it's, you know, a lot going on. It's a lot going on. Um, well, no, that's oh not God. a lot going on. That's the opposite of a lot going on. That's keeping things simple. It's less <laughs> letters, isn't it? I guess it's a lot to keep track of, though, right? Like, <laughs> I think. Um, but yes, in, in general, the vocals, whether they're backing or the lead vocal, push to the front on this, which I think makes a big difference in terms of how catchy and how accessible it is. Uh, you don't have to do a lot of work to try and figure out... Um, I don't think you have, like, okay, you obviously don't have to do a lot of work trying to discern what's a vocal part and what's not. For me, I didn't have to do loads of work to figure out what he was saying on this one either. Oh, I had to look up every word. Yeah, fair enough. It's ostensibly, Steve, you're right, about trying to find someone's coat because you can't go outside without your coat. Uh, But interestingly, there is is no such thing as a harbour coat. Well, there is such thing as a barber coat. (laughs) It's, it's It's a make of coat. No, I know it's I think not. that's what comes up when you Google harbour coat. It's, did you mean <laughs> barber coat? coat? <laughs> but it, what it does conjure up is like uh, the image of a, like a hardworking labourer because you've got the images of harbours, collars. I know that's on a coat, but like you've got the blue yeah, collar yeah. thing or the, and being beaten down or injured because it's like splinters in you or whatever, reddening necks and it just like kind of gives me reddening that kind of theme. Ne- Kind of next thing. reddened okay i've just understood that lyric for the, right. for the first okay. time yeah uh redden, there's also stuff and collar their clothes th- there's stuff in there yeah. about sovietism right yes there's and a load evil. of stuff about lenin the cr- yeah. they crowded up to lenin they crowded up to lenin with their noses worn off is the first yeah, okay. line of the album no idea what it means but um, see the only the yeah. only thing we said about harbor coats you say it's about um that you know the imagery of a, of a harbor like where boats live it's where they live yeah, um, yeah maybe but then there's the line later on where it's something about the uh, obviously it starts off with they crowded up to Lenin with the noses worn off. Yeah. And then later on it's they shifted the statues for harboring ghosts, which implies the other use of the word harboring, which is to cool to like look after you know keep someone 
secret in your home. So is there something there? Is it about... Is he keeping something in his coat? Or is they just mm. harbouring people? Like, I mean, this is going into some, what other people have said on Genius Lyrics stuff, but people saying it's... Uh, well, apparently Stipe said that it's a, the song is a rewriting of the Diary of Anne Frank. He probably said <laughs> that's, that's hard. That, that's Michael I, Stipe's words. Okay, like I, you said. Yeah. I don't know. I think he's uh I think he's less of a reliable narrator than we are. The entire song <laughs> does seem to retell a victim's point of view probably during Lenin's campaign known as the Red Terror. So is it harboring like to harbor a fugitive or a, you know, persecuted one? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Um Maybe your harbor maybe coat there's... is when two people wear a long coat and they're on the shoulders and that's how you keep <laughs> them secret. Because yeah. you yeah. walk around like it's just you and actually it's you and the other seven person. children. On your shoulder, you seven it. little Whoa. little heart. It's like yeah. Muppet Man in uh, the Muppet movie. There um, is something about like capitulation. Um, we danced the dance till the menace came out, got out, something like that. We danced the we danced the dance till the menace got out. Um, there's a darkness to the imagery, right? And and mm. again, with there's a splinter in your eye, and it reads react. There's like a good amount of imagery there, even if I don't really know what it means. Uh, I also read something about there being another reference to Lacoon on this song, which is the myth that they wrote about uh, in in Laughing on Murmur. Oh, yeah. Um, I read that in a book. So it's all, you know, look, I think to point at an R.E.M. song and go like, this is about Lenin's Red Terror, it's probably not the way to go about it. And it's no. one of the reasons I don't like genius lyrics is because they go, I know what this song is about. This song's about 20 different things. The important thing is the imagery, you know? Yeah. To be fair, a lot of people will say like this invokes this or this this yeah, this, yeah. this. They're not saying like this song is about this. That is and that is and this is something again, something I struggle with so far with REM, is that with Mannix, even though at least initially, musically, they weren't doing a lot for me. I obviously warmed to them. Um the stories you tell, the tales, you know, the context would be like, Well, that's an interesting thing I just learnt, regardless of the song. Those twins on tsunami interesting and so because this is more oblique it's not like oh that's interesting that they're singing about this interesting thing and you you tell me all about the red terror and i learn a thing instead it's like bits of vague imagery that you can sort of just like put and so there's less to sort of on a thing where you're when you're you know analyzing a thing yeah there's then less for me to analyze that's interesting i think that says something about you because for me there's more to analyze there if you're not sure what it means, it means there's more paths that you yeah, can go down. You know, I'm a literal man, aren't I? A so... literal man. And I would say that the thing about the Manics is I think they write lyrics in a very similar style to, to R.E.M. Uh, very collage lyrics. If you look at Generation Terrorists, well, we saw them, are, yeah, so... all over the place. And but, we would often but they call have them spe- out. They have specific reference points where you can go, that's a reference to the Khmer Rouge. That's a reference to Lenin. That's a reference to Trotsky. You know, And they're working towards a theme. You can do that with REM. You can go, that's a reference to, well, Lenin. You know, th- th- this is a, a reference to uh, a myth from ancient Greece. But you don't know what they add up to. With Mannix, you understand what they add up to, right? You understand what the thrust of the point is. With REM, you're still not sure. That's the bit you have to fill in for yourself. Yeah. And, and, and the other difference is a lot of the songs that you just gave examples of some of the more collage songs, but the ones that are more specific are some of the ones I remember more vividly in terms of lyrics. Tsunami, or Four Stone Seven Pounds, or uh, Drowning, something about drowning. But then the Manic's still like, you know, what, what does the chorus of Tsunami have to do with the Silent Twins? 
tsunami wash over me. Doesn't doesn't have anything to do. You you have to you have some work to do there to understand what it is that they're getting at. You know, I guess the difference is as a host of a podcast, I didn't have work. You told me some interesting stuff, and that yes. was interesting to me. And now you know I'm mean? not because I don't know either. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, what yeah, I mean, yeah. you're not going to give me a little, little interesting history lesson each song. I mean, it's it's possibly unknowable. The true meaning of it is so oblique, but the interpretation being left open to the listener to be pieced together from snatches of imagery is ultimately what people, including myself, like about REM. So, like, it's it's interesting. There's maybe maybe you're coming from the point of like, oh, there's less work to do with REM because they make normal rock music. You know, it's not you know as as out there as Radiohead. The lyrics aren't as like scattershot or reference heavy or specific as the Manics. So there's less work to do there as well. I think there's 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 so much more work to do with REM. You know. It's so much yeah, more. I guess it's work that of... I'm not well attuned to doing is the difference, right. I guess. Yes. Also, I like how show. we keep comparing to Mannix and Radiohead. At no point do we ever even give Muse a look in. Absolutely <laughs> <not>. <laughs> I really I really like this uh this kind of lyric writing because Adam said on the last on the last album that I don't know what this is about, but I kind of know what it's about. And mm-hmm. Again, and always, you know not even necessarily like it's what it's about. Yeah, because I'm just going to get, I'm getting like stuff and then it's sort of, well, that's sort of, I'm getting these kind of things and that's enough for me. I'm like, cool. Like, you know, it sounds a bit like, you know, working, hardworking laborers and the struggles and things like that. That's enough. That's cool because the way he's saying them are very poetic and, and weird. And I kind of like the weirdness of it all. Um, you know, take a line on its own. I'm just going to pick one out. She gathered the corners and collared her gown. Like, cool. Okay. Yeah, it's just a nice collection of words. Yeah, you know? sometimes the yeah. words just sound nice next to each other. And I think you've hit on uh, an important word. I think you used there. This is the closest, uh, in terms of the artists that we've covered, the closest we've ever come to poetry or like purely poetic lyrics that are just like combinations of words next to each other that you know create a little bit of friction. Where you're like, I don't know what that means. For instance, harbour coat, not not a thing that exists. We don't know what no. it is, but it's con- we've had a whole discussion about it. It's conjured up something, and all three of us have gone away, maybe with a different idea of what a harbour coat actually is, and we're one song into the album, and it's just that yeah. it's only used on the chorus yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Like it's uh, that's incredible writing to me. And I guess it's interesting that you say they're the closest to poetry because I would, almost, you know, there would be no doubt to say that the one of us three that would be the least that would struggle the most with poetry, me. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Apart from limericks. <laughs> yeah, silly, silly, you rude. Love, love a one, you love a lyric. One with a bum in it. Do lyrics, ha- do lyrics have to be rude? Because they almost universally are. No, they don't have to be. I've got a lovely book, which is uh, a whole book of limericks written by Michael Palin, and they are lovely. Yeah, absolutely lovely. Yeah. yeah. Whereas the, the only poets, poems that I ever get anything from are ones where they are clearly saying something quite clear, not the, word soup. You know, like the, there right. was a man from Brazil who took a dynamite pill. His heart retired, his bum backfired, and his willy shot over the hill. It's good. And that's the kind yeah. of poetry that Lucas is into. It's good. Uh, this, this one didn't make me cry on this album, like the, the cow one that Adam read out. I didn't right, cry yeah, at the, the man from Brazil with a dynamite yeah. pill. Oh, yeah. I, 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 <laughs> I, saved, I saved a poem on my phone the other day. I mean, yeah? Did you? Oh, yeah. wow. I, I'm fascinated by what this is going to be. Same, Damn, same. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not doing it now. We're, we're, it's, no context. It's too much pressure. It's too much. I'd have to give you. I'd have to give you context. And um, all oh, right, I okay, I can't, I can't that's fine. Okay, that's fine. It's uh, it's love is. 
My my what's love is Corinthians, Corinthians isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, no, I hate. Yeah, yeah. I, say I only hate it because it's so cliche at weddings. <laughs> yeah. I saved it because it filled me with white hot rage. <laughs> <laughs> my TikTok is full of like um, just screenshots of poems with ambient music in the background. Lovely like, stuff. That's just my whole TikTok. It's great. Uh, on today's episode, I'd like to talk to you about Buzzsprout, the user-friendly podcast hosting for non-techie people. I think that if this podcast has achieved anything, it's showing that literally anybody can start a podcast. Do you need any previous experience? No. Do you need top-of-the-range audio equipment? No. Do you need entertaining or insightful content? Absolutely not. But there is one thing that you will need, and that's podcast hosting or somewhere to store your podcast and deliver them to all of those podcast places, like the one where you're listening to this now. So if you're thinking about starting a podcast, just do it. We here at Big Mates Enterprises use Buzzsprout to host and publish our podcast because it's the best and easiest way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed on all the major podcast directories within minutes of finishing your recording. That's Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Castbox, Pocket Cast, Podbean, Podcast Addict. The list goes on and on. The other thing we've found is that not only do you get useful and easy to understand statistics about how well your podcast is doing, but also that the support team is super helpful with somebody always on hand to answer questions and help our podcast succeed. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message to the world, and you'll get a great-looking podcast website, audio players that you can drop into other websites, detailed analytics to see how people are listening, tools to promote your podcasts, and much, much more. But wait, because the more is now! (laughs) Because if you follow the link in our show notes, when you sign up, it lets Buzzsprout know that we sent you, and do you know what that gets you? $20 worth of credit when you sign up for a paid plan, and that warm feeling in your stomach knowing that not only are you on your way to podcast greatness, but that you've helped support this show too. So if you're starting your podcast, or you're looking to move your podcast, use Buzzsprout and follow our link in the show notes. Back to the episode. Uh, Anyway, Harbourcoat, the darker imagery, the higher energy, the sound of the thing, I think, sets up the album really well. Uh, second track, Seven Chinese Brothers. Yeah, yeah. 
there's something else that you know that is certain things I like about music are just so simple. Uh, one of them that I think is really coming in on this album, Michael Stipe's voice. I absolutely love Michael Stipe's voice. I think he's got an incredible voice that's really starting to come to fruition on this album. That chorus, he sounds incredible. And there's something about the tone and the texture of his voice. He has this really nice natural vibrato to it. Mm. And it's such a unique voice as well. You can just... uh, We had Dave Erringer on the podcast a few months back and we sadly had to cut it out of the episode, but we asked him about R.E.M. um, And he was saying, like, you can just hear, like, one word and you go, that's Michael Stipe. You know, yeah. it's it's such a unique sound to his voice. Anyway, that was just a little aside. There's a playfulness to this riff that I really like. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's cheeky. Very bright, very shiny. The murkiness has kind of gone for the first few tracks, I think. Um, although this has a uh, a darker kind of mid-late or bridge, or whatever you want to call it, which I really like, because it then goes back to a much sort of quieter version of the riff. You can just kind of hear that going down really well live. Um, Peter Buck has said that bridges, or middle eights, are very important to the band, and that they spend a lot of time on them. Um, First of all, do we understand kind of what a middle eight or a bridge kind of is? It's one of those terms that's used a bit interchangeable. Yeah, I don't really know. I, it's like a third thing. Yeah, it goes in between verses and choruses. It can Maybe. do. I would typically call that a pre-chorus. If we, you know, you, you literally I, uh, described the bridges bridging the gap between one thing and another in in the last album, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but you're right. It's it's also like a. It can be used as a third thing. The, the term bridge I've seen used as the pre-chorus and the middle eight. So we could just get rid of the term bridge if you want and use the term pre-chorus. And the term middle eight. What's middle, middle eight? eight? Well, middle eight is a bridge that lasts eight bars, so which which not all bridges do. But Steve is right; it's a third thing. Um, so you get verse, pre-chorus, chorus, verse, pre-chorus, chorus, bridge or middle eight, chorus. That's typically what it but, is. But what what about if that third thing isn't short or eight bars long? It doesn't have to be. It's, it's, just, it's, just, it's just another idea. And I think... Because you wonder, could have like a two-minute they... long tangent, you know? Yeah, it could be. What's yeah, that called? called? A bridge. Like I just... It's a very extended bridge. <laughs> yeah. A lot of the Golden So Gate. is a guitar solo a bridge? Uh, yeah, can be. Oh, interesting. But usually it's quite a chorus. It doesn't matter. Usually um, you'd call it the guitar solo, to be honest. I wonder if they spend a lot of time uh, putting a lot of thought into the bridge or the middle eight or the Golden Gate Bridge or whatever we're calling it. Um, because... They use the verse and the chorus so much in their songs because it is very that a lot that if when you introduce something new, it has to you go like, oh. make a bit more sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, here, here's what Peter Buck said. He said a bridge is supposed to widen out a song, change the tempo or rhythm, or sometimes the key, or maybe even redefine what's going on lyrically. The perfect song should have the perfect bridge. Um. And a lot of this song was written before Murmur, but they didn't have the bridge, so they couldn't include it. Whenever they played it live, they'd just play random noise where the bridge was meant to go. Uh, And then they eventually wrote a bridge that they found to be satisfactory, or perfect, I guess, uh, so that it could be included here. Here's an idea, I guess, of what a bridge is. So we we know what the intro is, don't we? And I guess that's the verse as well, because that's what he sings over. 
Yeah. yeah. And then the chorus is the bit that goes, Seven Chinese <laughs> brothers yeah. swallowing the... And you basically, in this song, get those bits repeated mm-hmm. until you get to about two and a bit minutes in when you get the bridge. Here we go. Chorus. Suddenly a new thing emerges. Uh, Manix. Does it sound like Manix? That sounds exactly like something off the Holy Bible. Yeah. yeah, yeah, maybe. So that's new, and then you're back into the verse. Ah, okay. So that's kind of what a bridge is, and I have to say, REM are particularly good at bridges, and there's some particularly good bridges on this album. There's one that's incredible. Um... Yeah, that. Do you not think that, that that particular riff at two nineteen? The first time I heard it, the second I heard the song, the very first time I went, "Well, that sounds like the sort of riff you'd hear on a Manix doing dark on a Holy Bible adjacent." That's song. interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. I hadn't picked that out, but I do kind of hear it now that you say it. Yeah, I mean, the, the reason you said like, "Oh, we're not talking about Muse or whatever," we're talking about Radiohead and uh, Manix when we compare these songs to other things. It's because the Manix and Radiohead very influenced by REM. REM. Yeah. 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 Whereas Muse were influenced by Radiohead, so we're once removed there. Yeah, it's like a second generation influence. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that chorus is such a lift, I think. Uh, mm. Love that chorus. Seven Chinese brothers swallowing the ocean. 7,000 years to sleep away the pain. She will return. Uh, and I, I always assumed that it was some kind of Eastern myth. You know, like some kind of ancient Eastern myth, because that would be very REM. But it's actually... Uh, the Five Chinese Brothers is an American children's book from the 1930s. Oh, right. Uh, and one one of the Chinese brothers can can swallow the ocean, um, which, of course, we should put in Water Watch. That's our first oh, yeah. instance of Water Watch there, which well, is swallowing the ocean. Harbour. Yeah, harbour. Oh, harbor's I guess. Next. See, I hadn't even... Yeah, I didn't even yeah. put water in, included on in the ne- that. On the next one is when I made that connection on the next track. Uh, you... Were, we were just talking about poetic lyrics and while we're in Water Watch as well, yes. um, I, I need to point out this line, which is Autumn waded seven seas, swim the colour come another, which mm. is gobbledygook but it's it's lovely. Autumn waded seven seas, swim the colour. Just love those combinations of words, man. You know, like part of, part of the attraction for me is just like how do you come up with that? I, I really like things that I don't understand and you know, for Radiohead, it's I don't understand how they make that music. I do now, but but I didn't, uh, and I just don't understand how you come up with autumn waded seven seas swim the color. It's just really, really lovely. Just the song's mm. just sort of joyous, really. Um, absolutely no idea what it's about, but I don't really care for that for that reason. Um, it mentions it mentions I'm going to get his name wrong. Mao, Mao, another yeah, okay, yeah. Mao. Yeah. Uh, and also, then the last one had Lenin. Sort of, sort of doing things. Some Communist leaders, of, right? Yeah. Also a yeah, bit Mannix. Yeah. Mannix. I mean, you also said the influence is there. Yes. Yeah. Uh, also, you guys keep calling the song Seven Chinese Brothers. Bros. Seven Chinese bros, man. Bros, man. Bros. They're bros. Oh, absolute bros. They're just seven ri- Chinese oh, bros just hanging just out. Seven Chinese bros, man. Yeah, because it's written like... <laughs> <laughs> My they're doing this. <laughs> they're doing this, and I'm doing the shaka. Yeah, and uh, you're describing. It. <laughs> that's, that's my Californian stoner bro. Uh, that's great. Because it's written like Super Mario Bros, isn't it? It is, and that's yeah. the influence. And that is another example of Michael Stipe just making it like just changing titles, just changing words in titles. And everything. like the comma in Wolves Lower, which should just mm. be called Lower Wolves, you know, because yeah, that's like the lyrics it. that are in the song. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
loads of really nicely put together words in this song i think uh this mellow sweet short haired boy woman offers pull up a chair and you can pick stuff out i think i i saw in a book um someone talking about there being a bit about chinese foot binding which i assume is the bit that sounds like wrap your heel in something and steal uh, bones wrap of your steel heel in bones yeah. of steel it's one of the lyrics yeah. I had kind of picked out as just sort of that's that's a something that sounds like something, but yeah, the foot binding thing makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah, but then I've also I saw an interview with Michael Stipe from like two thousand and eight where uh, he said it was about the time that he broke up a couple and then dated them both. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's, 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 there's some there's some weirdness going on here because that is the same note that I have got against the next song. It's for both songs. How that's can really? that be? Because he wrote them at the same time. That that's that's very uh, Frank and Furter, isn't it? From um, Rocky Horror. Yeah, yeah, to, yeah. To, to fuck either side of the couple. Well, he he said it was a terrible thing to do, but I was young and stupid. The interesting thing is, I don't see it in the lyrics at all. But, no. well, but, but also, uh, woman offers the, and boy. Yeah, I there's know. something I don't know. <laughs> it's nah. Seven Chinese brothers swallowing the ocean. I don't that's why it well. seems a bit more. That's why it seems a bit more on brand, maybe for the next song for Station to Rain, because that maybe it would fit a bit better. In the interview, which is from Spin 2008, he said, "I wrote Seven Chinese Brothers about the time that I broke up a couple and then dated both of them, man and woman." Uh, and then So Central Rain, I also wrote about that from a different perspective. So they're both they're both about it. Um, it's interesting though because obviously the person who wrote it is telling me that that's where this piece of writing comes from but I don't see it so maybe that's an insight into how Michael Stipe approaches his lyric writing Um, yeah interesting Uh, vocal wise this is one that Stipe was having real difficulty with he was singing too softly and too quietly because his mood was a bit down he wasn't feeling it and so Don Dixon decided to mix things up a bit and threw Stipe a copy of the Revelers gospel album The Joy of Knowing Jesus and Stipe sang or kind of intoned the liner notes that he was reading from the album to the music of Seven Chinese Brothers which kind of loosened him up a little bit and inspired him to record a usable take of the actual vocals uh, from the song um I think it contributes to a pretty kind of high energy opening for the album. It's really good. I really like Seven Chinese Brothers. It's really good. Mm. I'm going to do this really good thing. Um, yeah, it's really good. <laughs> but it is just pure joy so far, and it and a lot of it is. Uh, but just just that little riff, like you can't not smile to that. It's cheeky, and then you've got the because the second time when the the riff repeats, you get that bang bang bang. No idea. What the, I've, I guess a, a piano key and some sort of percussion. Um, it's a piano. Yeah, and they're going, oi, oi, oi. Are they? Oh, that's not on my version. That's weird. That's He's gross. got the British version. It's the seven Chinese yeah, it's bros. You've, bros got, you've, got, yeah. you've got US and I've got the UK mix. Right, the UK mix. Got it. Oi, oi, oi. Yeah, his, his, his voice during the main chorus, the seven Chinese world, is very, let's say, A, sounds great. B, sounds distinctly Michael Stipe. It's it sounds so like it sounds like the Michael Stipe that I recognise from yeah. whatever songs. Shiny that I, happy people that, that I don't know when those songs are from. In the yeah yeah, yeah 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 fair yeah I know they're from the nineties or maybe eighties. I heard them in the nineties. <laughs> mm. uh, cool song, cool band, cool guys. Uh, <laughs> the next one, um, yeah, it's spelled so central rain. It's southern, southern. central rain mm. or south central rain. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs>
This is the song they performed on Letterman in 1983 when it was so new that it didn't have a name, if you remember me mentioning that in the Murmur episodes. Yeah. Uh, take R.E.M. out of it. This is one of my favourite songs of all time. Speak on that. Because it's fucking excellent, Adam. That's probably we, why. Once again, we all had a little bop. We're all there just bobbing side yeah. to side, just having yeah, a nice yeah, yeah. little time. Uh, and there is something nice about it. But also, I mean, it's a song that I like. So there is also such despair and longing and yearning in the song. And all of those words that we use to try and make Steve cry. Mm. Uh, but it's also, yeah, it's a bit of a country-tinged bop. And it has a nice tempo. And the guitars sound great. but And the bass is, like, incredible. The bass plays what is basically the main riff in the chorus, right? The doo-doo-doo-doo-doo yep. is, is the bass. But in the verses, all over the place, it's mm. like doom, 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 doom. It's, like, it's, 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 it's all over the neck, as, as Lucas would say. All, all over, over the, neck. the neck. All over the neck. It's in my notes. Really, like a bad really effective mm. uh, oh. how it works as a, like a rock for the song, but also provides so much like melody to it, you know? It's kind of at this point, it's kind of bread and butter REM to have like, these muted verses and then that soaring chorus of "I'm yeah. sorry," Saurus. and then Saurus. Saurus. the Tyrannosaurus of "I'm sorry," <laughs> and then the the second verse kind of opens up wider again after the chorus in this song, um, and I think it I think it is the bass line changes up for that second chorus because you get into the first chorus very quickly, um, but then there's something about it, and I think it is it then start he starts going insane on the bass like all over it. Um, but I also He's just going love, insane on the bass. Going Mike Mills is going insane on the bass. Going all up, up, up in that bass. <laughs> all over the strings. Uh, he's all over the strings, all over your neck. He's all over the strings, yeah. Yeah, bass in your Can't neck. Can't get him away. Um, and I love that there's a chorus of just, I'm sorry, over and over. That's I think the it's, only yeah. words, isn't it? It's the thing they definitely yeah. do is really, 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 really basic choruses. Yeah, yeah very yeah, simple. But, Have yeah, they got yeah. any of this one word? They must do. Catapult. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. But I, I wonder if Adam, if this is your favourite bridge ever, because the little bass and piano bridge, like in this, is, is really good. Uh, it's not. It's it's yeah. a different one from this album. Okay. But I do like the bridge on this. I do think yeah. REM man, good, good bridges. bridges, good bridges. My they are bridge. so Phoebe. Yeah, seven. Yeah, you love that, don't you? Love you the love the seven bridge. bridge. Hey, I yeah, love the seven bridge because it means I'm going to Wales, and that's nice. Uh, but I love the piano all over this record, actually. It's great. It does give a kind of South Rock feeling to yeah, it. Yeah, you can hear the southernness yeah. uh, in the band in songs like this. Um, uh, it reminded me of Shaking Through, 
uh, from yes. from the last album, which yes. as soon as you have that piano, like that honky tonk piano, yeah, it's, the plink, it's, the, it's, yeah. it's the plinky, it's the, the saloon piano. piano. Yeah, yeah, yeah the saloon, yeah, saloon piano, piano. Like, gives oh. you that vibe of like, yeah, you're like, oh, yeah. I forget that they're kind of like a country band sometimes. It's, it's oh, yeah. tuned, it's not later. tuned differently, but they sound really yeah. high. They sound really like tinny almost. Yeah. There's that plinky plonkiness to that sort of style of piano. Yeah, I des- I've described in my notes the verses of this as just being kind of a nice, re- relaxed, meandering vibe. Mm, like a river. They're just kind of meandering along. You're just having a nice little time. Just like a river of suggestion. The of oh, the song. Steve. <laughs> now I'm crying. <laughs> because the, the, the imagery in these words for me is just... Like, it opens. It just breaks my heart for yeah, some yeah, reason, yeah. man. Like, it opens with, Did you never call? I waited for your call. These rivers of suggestion are driving me away. Oh, it doesn't really mean anything, but also it means everything to me, Steve. <laughs> well, if it was released these days, it'd probably be I waited for your Snapchat because <laughs> no one, no one call, no one calls each other anymore or on Snapchat. <laughs> Jesus Christ, mate! Jesus Christ! I don't think Snapchat's the thing anymore no, no, either. I think you're still like, you're like ten years out of date. Yeah, you say that. You say that. There's there's younguns at my work who um. you see them. I see them communicating with their friends. And they're texting each other on Snapchat. Oh, oh fair enough. Yeah, okay, I stand corrected. Yeah. I stand corrected. Uh, this is this is the song where the 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 waterness became clear because we've had harbors full of water, uh, drinking the ocean. This one's got rain in the title, and they mention yeah. rivers. Yeah, they do. Um, All different types of water. I mean, that's a great like, bit, isn't it? The, we... the trees will bend, the cities wash away, the city on the river. There is a girl without a dream. Don't know what it means. Love oh, it, Steve. Come on, Steve. Sorry, Adam, are you okay? Steve, come on, mate. Come on, mate. I mean, we all like this one, don't we? I absolutely love this. Come one. on now. Come on now. Um, it does seem to be someone trying to phone someone to say they're sorry. the The second verse mentions time zones and lines being down, amongst some other great. Combinations of words and images. Eastern to mountain, third party call. The lines are down. The wise man built his words upon the rocks, but I'm not bound to follow suit. Incredible, in my opinion. The wise man built his words upon the rocks, but I'm not bound to follow suit. Fair play. I guess I guess what he's saying is like sensible people speak in truths with foundation, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to. I am not the wise man who builds his words upon the rocks. Uh, I just that's that's such a, a, a an incredibly poetic way of saying I'm a liar. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it? Basically, that's what I took from those two lines. Yeah, anyway, um, and yeah, it's it's about the same relationship that he was writing about on the previous song, Seven Chinese Brothers, but also inspired by flooding in Athens, which meant that they couldn't contact home while they were on tour. Only this one seems more subjective. It seems to be from a point of view, whereas Seven Chinese Brothers, I don't think you can work out who's talking to who. Mm. Um, Stipe said, at the time, I was writing about what I knew uh, on this song, and what I knew was myself. I found out I'm not that kind of writer. I think I'm better when I write about things that are not me. Now, I think the lyrics are great, uh, but they were maybe too personal for Stipe uh, one of his most famous quotes in general, uh, when asked about how personal his songs are, or when he's asked in interviews, like, wow, what happened to you that you wrote a song like this? I think someone asked that about a song that's called New Test Leper that will come up uh, later on in the season. And he would always say this, don't confuse the singer with the song. Yeah. You know, just because he's singing about it doesn't mean that he's singing about himself. And I, we now know 
thanks to another much later interview about this song, that that was not the case here. He's singing about himself in some ways. And I think maybe he was uncomfortable blurring those lines here. Um, he doubles down into another style of writing that is on this album for subsequent albums, which I think is interesting. He kind of takes a bit of a turn away from the personal. Not that there's loads of songs that you can point out in this era of R.E.M. and go, hey, that must be a very personal song to Michael Stipe. Because they all come across as either intensely personal or not connected to him at all. Like, all at once, it's yeah. all happening at the same time. Um, yeah, but there's there's plenty of... I mean, yeah, Water Watch. We've done Water Watch with Cities Water being washed away. And every time you say it, I picture Waterworld. <laughs> well, it's Kevin always Costner. nice to... It's always nice to think about Kevin Costner, isn't with it? With gills. Um, the Ocean Sang is... Lovely. Another line that I like from this, yeah. Uh, it was also the first single from the album. And what would it sound like? If it was uh, like this, I think. I think it would sound like this. Mm. I think it would go... Very literal man, aren't you? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> At the end, those uh, like careening vocals in the outro where he's just going like... Ah! Um, <laughs> they, <laughs> they fade out very, very quickly... Uh, and that's because Michael Stipe was recording that part in his makeshift vocal booth that he again set up in the stairwell next to the studio. Sometimes he took off all of his clothes to feel more comfortable. For these vocals, for that part specifically, he was emoting so hard, putting so much into it that he lost his balance and fell down the stairs. So I think you can basically hear him leave the vicinity of the microphone, and then they what? cut it out. They cut it out before you can hear him hit the <laughs> stairs. Um, Was he still yeah. in tune though? So that's quite nice. <laughs> yeah, go back and listen to that if you can. Um, and then one more, one more thing before we move on to the next song. I learned this is something that I learned while reading various things about this song, uh, just to tie it into another artist that we covered on a previous season. This is Tom York's favorite REM song. Uh, so there you go. I learned, learned that yesterday. Uh, there you go. Uh, you were out when you were at the pub of Tom. Yeah, I asked him. I said, "What's your favorite Ari episode?" He said, "This one." I said, "That's weird because we're covering that tomorrow." He said, "Send my love to the boys." Oh, so, that's nice. Yeah. Class- oh, Tom's always a classy guy, isn't he? He's just he classy. Is Thomas, He's just classy. Was this a single? Yeah, it was the first single. Mm. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. I think the uh, artwork for the single has "I'm sorry" in brackets. Yes. Um. And I wonder if that's because they were like, people won't know what this song is. It's just called South Central Rain. It is called South Central Rain, I'm Sorry, on the album. Uh, like, yeah, yeah I know it doesn't, doesn't have it on the Spotify. On it. There's, yeah. another one there. There's another one on the album where they did that or didn't do that on Spotify as well. Yeah, well, but it is, then... called, it is called South Central Rain, I'm Sorry. Uh, and this next one is not called South Central Rain, I'm Sorry. It's called instead Pretty Persuasion. Segway, incredible segway, isn't it?
Man, they're getting right to these choruses on this one. I know we talked about the tease in, in Harbour Coat, where they pull you back to the verse for a second time. Seven Chinese Brothers, uh, South of Sexual Rain, I'm sorry, and Pretty Persuasion, they all just go straight into the chorus. You're, it's immediate. You know, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's much more immediate. Lovely little riff into the intro, isn't it? Oh, the, the descending arpeggios is, oh, yeah. again, yes. just kind of the classic R.E.M. sound on this album. Yeah. This yeah. is, this is R.E.M., you know, and, <laughs> this and so is, is Peter Buck. R.E.M. Um, <laughs> this song 100% speeds up as it goes. Uh, if you go like three minutes or something and then skip back to the intro, they're totally different. <laughs> really, <laughs> um, but I think yeah, I think that's the playing live thing. I don't think it's, but what it does is it gives the song quite a bit of urgency because it is slowly speeding up. Um, they're obviously having a great time with it, I guess. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, you can tell it's a live take, can't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Lovely little, lovely little bop again, isn't it? What, what, yeah. what, what should we do about it? Nothing, mate. I'm not asking you to do anything about it. What should we do about it? Anything about it? Lucas, what did you think of it? It's catchy. Catchy yeah. bop. It's another one. Catchy bop. Catchy bop. Catchy bop. Catchy bop. And sometimes that's fine. Sometimes that's all you need. And you know, one li- and like three lines broke through my brain hole, which was something persuasion. Yeah. Uh, God damn. Which felt weird. I don't know. Just felt rude, isn't it? Place. Rude. It's a bit rude. <laughs> yeah, it's rude. Uh, no need. No need. Yeah. That's too punk, really, isn't it? Did you not stop to think that it might be pretty persuasion because of the title of the song? Nah. I wasn't going to ask. I wasn't okay. going to ask. <laughs> Do you want to embarrass it's him? It's something persuasion. <laughs> also, Steve, yeah. I think you overestimate how often I see the track list because I put it on. Yeah, that's fair. And then that's it's on in, in my phone's in my pocket or whatever, and I don't. It doesn't go up next. <laughs> it just. I haven't. T- I haven't started using the Spotify AI the Spotify DJ, DJ yet. I tried that the other day. Not bad, actually. Yeah, it was. It was all right. Yeah. Did he? Yeah. Did he name you and like say some really personal things about you that you shouldn't know? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. He came yeah. out and he told me exactly what room I was in the house and what I was yeah, wearing. It was weird. And he yeah, said, yeah. "Anyway, <laughs> anyway, here's yeah. R.E.M. Anyway, up next, here's R.E.M. <laughs> yeah, it's ca- it's catchy. I like the I like all the tinny clangy guitar business. Mm-hmm. Yep. I like yeah. that it's got a man with a harmonica on it. Yep. And knights like from Muse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you love a harmonica, right? Uh, yeah, I, I love a harmonica. Um, it's it's one of their earliest songs, and I think you can right. kind of tell it was it was written and played in like 1980 when they first performed, and I think you can tell it's part of that Chronic Town batch of songs, you know. Mm-hmm. And by um, that, I mean Chronic like blunts. Yeah, of course, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, cool. very bright, <laughs> chiming guitars, two vocals weaving in and out of each other again, yeah. and maybe the best example uh, of an answer to a question that you asked when we were talking about Murmur, Lucas, which is kind of like, we've alluded to it here, which is just, maybe you don't get why what they were doing was so special. Like, it's just normal music, isn't it? So, they were kind of taking two older styles of music and, like, forcing them to coexist. So, obviously, you have punk music which had morphed into a much heavier kind of music by 1984. If you remember our little quick run-through of what is rock music from the second episode of this season. Um, <laughs> so this is hearkening back to an earlier version of punk where it wasn't as heavy. And many bands did take that punk influence and then add in other complicated musical ideas into it. And you get like pure post-punk, which is what R.E.M. are doing. They're doing that as well to a degree. 
but they are also mostly bringing in 60s pop. You know, we've mentioned like The Birds, and I'm going to play you a clip of The Birds because I don't know how you know this song, I reckon, but I don't know how familiar you are with The Birds. You reckoning? Nice. This yeah. is called Turn, Turn, Turn uh, by The Birds. You know that song, right? There's another song that I think is quite important called So You Want to Be a Rock and Roll Star by The Birds, and I will, I will play that as well. Oh, they're playing the fish. Yeah. Right, and they both sound going? very like sixties rock and roll, yeah. classic exactly. that sort of sound. Yeah, and they also liked the Monkees and the Beatles and other sixties pop bands. I guess jangle pop, you know, jangly guitar, the vocal harmonies. You can hear a lot of REM in those two songs by the Birds. Definitely that first one. Yeah, the yeah. first one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think that this song, Pretty Persuasion, is the crossroads where. They blend punk and 60s pop. That's what R.E.M. are doing here. And when you're talking about them blending punk, what, 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 who, give me some examples, because you then said punk got heavier, and maybe I don't want to be thinking about that type of punk. I want to be thinking about classic punk. Okay, so let's, let's maybe think about uh, like proto-punk almost then, I guess. What is a good example of that? Let's go... Well, I guess, what do you not mean? Who do you not mean? I don't mean necessarily mean the Sex Pistols. Let's okay. go... Let, that I'm was basically my... Sis- I mean, Adam, that was my question, was do you okay, mean yeah. the Sex Pistols? But that's more the aggressive further mm-hmm. end of the spectrum then. That's a bit more raw and, and, and heavy. I'm going to play you a bit of Sister Ray by... The Velvet Underground, another big influence on REM. It's 17 minutes long, so I'll yeah, play the, the whole middle thing, somewhere. Here we go. This is the way Who just got back from Carolina. She said she didn't like the weather. This is the way the sailor. Who's big and just a bigger liver. He's just here from Alabama. No I'll, sk- I'll skip forward a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> but there's four minutes between those two bits that I just played you. <laughs> yeah? Right? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yep. Do you love that? Do you love that? It's not for me. Can you see how REM is a blend of those two things, though? Yeah. 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 You've got the avant-garde kind of nature, the proto-punk nature of the Velvet Underground, the kind of do-what-you-want nature of it, blended in with, like, if she could turn, turn, turn. Like, yeah, it's like, so there's music that sounds like Pretty Persuasion, but it's not usually played as fast as Pretty Persuasion is. And music that was played as fast as Pretty Persuasion was, was not quite so ornate or complex, or pop-inclined. It was kind of heavier and grimier and more experimental. So R.E.M., as kind of, like, boring as it kind of is, they take two disparate styles of music, one very popular, one very underground, and meet them both in the middle. Makes sense. And this is you successfully starting to do a bit of what you said about on the last episode about, like, trying to put some context around it, because... yes. Because you have to do that every episode. Yeah, just, I will, do the, don't just do the same songs. Okay, go on to do the same songs. <laughs> yeah, again. I, I think I think Pretty Persuasion sounds great. Also, maybe the heaviest that we've heard REM get so far. What yeah. do you think about that statement? I think so. It's it's certainly one of the fastest. I know that doesn't necessarily go hand in hand. Yeah, it's definitely the fastest. Uh, I'm going to play a little bit of it that is genuinely like for REM in this era, relatively heavy. Is it new metal? It's a it's a bridge. It's another great bridge. This. Some genuine distorted guitar. I was about to say it's because it's they've actually got some distortion yeah. on the guitar instead yeah. of jangly. You can hear it go from punk music to 60s pop in like two seconds there. Right. It's you hear cool. that bit, that tiny little riff, do, 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 do. quickly skip yeah. back to the beginning. Uh, oh, it's it's slower at the beginning, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, so different, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Is that I not intentional we... because it's after the energetic, you know, fart? Well, it's, just, you know. it's just a live take, isn't it? They're just playing and they're getting faster as they go. And and you're right, yeah, that bridge is very, very energetic, so they're coming out of it with a bit more speed, mm. uh, a bit more attack to it. And I think because it has, um, because it's in the mould of such a classic kind of pop song, there isn't loads in the lyrics that need, like, unpicking. There's some imagery, but it's far more straightforward than something like laughing or talk about the passion or even Seven Chinese Brothers. And I mean straightforward in like an REM way. It's like REM's version of simple pop lyrics, which is like, it's what I want, hurry and buy. All has been tried, follow reason and buy. She's got pretty persuasion. Goddamn, pure confusion. Um, the lyrics for the verse and the chorus and the bridge or whatever are the same each time that they happen. It is pure punk simplicity. Everything's just like stripped right back to its bare bones. Yeah, there's so few lyrics going on. Yeah, I didn't even didn't even make any notes about them because it's just sort of sort. Of, I want to say nothing. That sounds unfair, but kind of. It's, it's it's by the by. They've got some stuff there to be with the vocals. Yeah, I mean, you can I could, you could read into that. It's about consumerism and the persuasion of wanting to hurry out and buy things. Um, you know, those those sound like very... The, the verse sounds like instructions. Hurry and buy. Follow reason and buy, you know. And then the bridge has stuff like, cannot 
I don't know if it's suffer or shuffle. Cannot suffer in this heat. Cannot shuffle in this heat. Don't know. But there's you know there's stuff you can pick out. It's not as important uh, as the other ones. I don't think. Um, seen this one live. Lovely. Same. Yeah. Good. <laughs> and I just I think that that um that run of four songs that opens the album there unbeatable for me. Incredibly strong. I think. Uh, Harbour Coat to Seven Chinese Brothers to South Central Rain to Pretty Persuasion, incredible. Uh, yeah, very good. Yeah, so the I guess it, Ad- you know. I was going to say the fact that Adam's describing a four-song incredible Ooh. run means oh, means that yeah. he's not considering it a five-song incredible run. Enough, enough now. Very soft, slightly too soft. Yeah, calm down now. Okay, stop. Enough. Stop. Okay, we can leave it there. We can leave it there for this week. That's absolutely fine. Um, Just really quickly, I want to dedicate this episode to Richie Parr. Richie Parr is one of our biggest mate subscribers over on our Patreon. (gasps) So he gets... He gets an episode dedicated to him, and it's uh, it's part one of Reckoning. So uh, you are welcome. And while we are talking about listeners, should we have a little email from a listener? Oh, bloody, bloody go on then, mate. I've got Australian. I tried to do Cockney. (laughs) What happened there? (laughs) Not really. Did you sure. watch too much Peaky Blinders? Not really. His famous sure. Aussies Peaky Blinders. Oh, I tell you what, all of the youngins are getting in touch, which is uh, it's very heartening. It's nice to know that we are actually very cool uh, with the generation beneath us. Well, we do actually, we do talk about TikTok. We so, do, you know. and we're very poggers, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, it's it's really giving uh, good or something. I'm slaying otherwise. queen. Don't be sus. I'm very sorry if I pronounce uh, your name wrong, uh, but this is from Ildiko Cabrera, uh, who says, Hello, big mates. I'm guessing I'm probably in the minority of teenagers who listen to your podcast. All right, well, leave it out. As I am 17, I wanted to say that listening has brought me so much joy over the past few months. My dad is a musician. I grew up with Radiohead playing in my house all the time, so I suppose it was inevitable I've become a huge fan. I would say I definitely fall under the Adam category in regard to my music consumption, and I'm, I'm always on the lookout for new Radiohead coverage. I was so excited to find your podcast and have since finished all of the Radiohead episodes thus far. Coincidentally, I was a big Billie Eilish fan when I was younger. Younger than 17. So I've, I didn't know it existed. So I've also listened to a couple of your episodes on her. While she is not to my personal taste anymore, it's made me really appreciate her more as an artist as there were many themes in her writing I didn't pick up on previously. I wanted to share my thoughts on one of my favourite tracks from A Moonshaped Pool ahead, hopefully, I'm not sure about your recording schedule, of your coverage of the album. Well, we're just a little bit behind oh, yeah. in the emails. Huge apologies. Eesh. While the entirety of the album doesn't rank as high as many of Radiohead's projects for me, one song that I formed a deep emotional connection with is Glass Eyes. Not only is it sonically breathtaking, the soaring strings remind me a lot of how to disappear completely, but the distinctly personal lyric content really speaks to me. This past year I lost a loved one to cancer, and the song provided a great amount of comfort to me. Without speculating too much about Tom's personal life, I think it's fair to say the themes of loss feels very prominent in his songwriting. I find the phone call-like beginning lyrics to be very melancholy as he describes a feeling of panic in a crowded train station. For me, this description conveys the anxiety of feeling lost without someone you love. The lines, the path trails off and heads down a mountain through the dry bush, I don't know where it leads and I don't really care. 
speak to me as an attempt to find a way forward through pain, accepting the many unknowns that await, but having to keep moving to survive. I see the line, I feel this love to the core, as the final understanding that your love for this person will always remain beyond their physical presence. The beautiful musical composition blends so well with this final revelation and has brought me to tears on many occasions. I think it's a perfect example of how the band combines lyrics and music to create emotional weight. I hope this hasn't dragged on too long. Thank you for the many hours of entertainment and insight. Not at all. Uh, that was uh, beautifully written. Uh, a very moving uh, recount of your emotions around that song. Um, thank you for sharing that. Uh, if you're just joining us for the REM season, go back and listen to the Radiohead season. There's loads of uh, there's loads of great stuff in there. Uh, yeah, thank you. And for... the Billie Eilish season. Yeah, why not? And and the Mads. you know what? Yeah, all of it. Do it. all of them. Do it all, please, all. please. That brings us to the end of another episode. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening. Our next episode is out next Monday. They're out every Monday, and we're going to continue our deep dive into REM's second album, Reckoning. Uh, come and join us for that. But before you do, let us know what you think of the record so far. Let us know what you think of what we've talked about so far. Just come and tell us. We like being in conversation with you. That's when the show works best. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at What Is Music Pod, TikTok at What Is Music. And if you want to send in something a little bit longer, like Adelka did, we'll read it out on the show. Email us, whatismusicpod at gmail.com. And if you liked what you heard here and thought, I'd love to hear some bloody more of that. I cannot get enough of it. Yummy, yummy, yummer. <laughs> Please do head over to our Patreon page where you'll find all kinds of extra podcast shows. There's one where we read... Now, I stumble on that every single time. Yeah. There's got to be a better way to say where we revisit because that's brutal for me. Anyway, there's a show where we revisit... See? Manic Street On Preachers. which we revisit. Same. Uh, there's a show in which we revisit. Oh, no, it's better. We revisit uh, Manic Street Preachers, one where we explore all kinds of different artists, genres, and eras to make theme playlists, there's bonus commentaries, and music discussion episodes. There's ad free episodes of this show and a really great Discord community. There's also some notarized documents if that's interesting to you. Head to patreon.com slash whatismusicpod or follow the link in the show notes for up to two podcast episodes every single week of your pathetic life. There are also other ways that you can support us if you'd like to. You could buy some of our merchandise over at whatismusicpod.redbubble.com or send us a little one-off donation over on coffee.com which is ko-fi.com slash what is music the best way to support us however is to do what you're doing right now which is just listening to us you can rate the show subscribe to the show share it with your friends all of that stuff that podcasts ask you to do that about does it thanks again for listening we will see you next week but for now it's the end of the episode as we know it and I feel curious hairy oh <laughs> 